Grab a seat. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Um, so funny, in Milledgeville, we typically all have all ladies, so Alyssa knows what I'm talking about. I'm so used to saying thank you ladies for leading us in worship, so I'm just kind of glad I didn't do that there. But um, if uh, you guys have a Bible, and it's my prayer that I hope you guys do, go ahead and be finding your way to First uh, John chapter 4. We'll be in verses 7 through 12 this morning. It's First John Thanks, we can see now, appreciate that. First uh, John 4, 7 through 12. If we haven't met, which there's gonna be a couple of us in here, I guess. Uh, my name is Kyle. Um, I am the lead pastor at the Branch Church Milledgeville. So yes, these guys trusted me to go down there and plant a church. So uh, you'll see later on whether or not that was a wise decision. Um, but um, so what we are in right now, it's really an honor and a privilege for me to be teaching uh, in our Advent series. So we've been walking through Advent in Milledgeville as well. So this is going to be on podcast for us uh, in Milledgeville. So everybody in Milledgeville, what's up? It's good to be heard by you guys. But for you guys here, uh, I'm thankful that they uh, allowed me to come back up here and finish out. So um, if you're a note taker, uh, if you have been here over the past couple of weeks, uh, you know we've been in this Advent series, and the Advent is talking about, uh, I think it was Ricky uh, brought up the Greek word parousia. Am I saying that right, Ricky? If not, he'll correct me somewhere. Oh, he's with the kids. It makes sense. Um, but it means coming. So it was not only a season of life, a period of time where we look to the first coming of Christ, but also where we look to the second coming of Christ. And we traditionally have done that through four different ways. So uh, if you've been here over the past couple weeks, you got to see as we walk through uh, hope, through peace and joy, and every single week what we did in Milledgeville, what you guys have done in here has made a huge impact in your life and been able to see Ultimately, what we have said is that Christ, that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is our peace, and like Ricky said last week, Jesus is our joy. So ultimately, this week, what we're going to be talking about is love. So Jesus, cat out of the bag, right at the beginning, Jesus is our love. Um, so as I started doing a bit of study this week on love, it is such a loaded topic. There's so many different meanings to the word love. I can say that I love my wife, but I can also say I love donuts. Now, that's the same word, but obviously two different meanings. Um, so I think it would be beneficial for us before we dive in to get on the same page, to look at all of the different meanings, at least in the Greek, of what love means. Um, because for us, um, as we get to see in this Christmas season that we see love typically for our culture means love is something about me. And I think, Mackenzie, we have some uh, slides that we can put up here when it talks about this love of something being about me. There's two Greek words that primarily have to do with that is storge, which is affection. It's something like if you have an old t-shirt or an old sweatshirt, something that you just love, that you uh, want to hold on to, you have affection for. Uh, but the second one, the second Greek word that we see when it's talking about what the world talks about, of how the world says love is about me, is eros. And it is a romantic type of love, like when I said, I love my wife. Now, none of those things are wrong things, but when we're talking about Christ, how Christ is our love, we gotta go one step further. 
So if you've been in church, you've been in Christian culture for a while, you understand that Christian culture based off scripture says that love is not about me, but it says that love is about others. And this is where we get this Greek word phileo. Phileo, if, it's the, if you're familiar with the meaning of the word Philadelphia, the reason why they call it Philadelphia, it's, it's a brotherly love. It's the city of brotherly love. It's how we love each other in this room as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, nothing's wrong with that, but I do believe in Christian culture that sometimes we neglect the most important step, that we go so far as talking about love is not only just something about us, but it's about other people, but we miss the ultimate point of love. The gospel says that love is first and foremost about Christ. So when we talk about love this morning, the love we're gonna be talking about is an agape love. It's a self sacrificing love. So when we look to scripture this morning, that's what we're going to see. So if you're already there in 1 John 4, 7 through 12, this text is rich with the word love or beloved. It's mentioned 15 times alone in this text. And if you were to look it up every single time, it is an agape love. So the first John text, when we look at it as well, this is coming from a disciple of Jesus, John, who calls himself in John chapter 20, the disciple that Jesus loved. So if anyone knows about love, if anyone knows about what a self-sacrificing love Christ had, it is this disciple, the closest one to Jesus, who was there, the only disciple at his crucifixion, standing and seeing a broken savior for him. So I think it's important that we have that framework as we dive in this morning. So let's pick up in verse seven and read what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Jesus, thank you for demonstrating to us perfect love. God, in this season where everything's vying for our attention, where we have presence and family and relationships and everything that gets in the way, God, we stop and pause as your church to remember your first coming and to look forward to your second coming, specifically remembering and looking forward to your love. So God, I ask that you give me the words to say this morning to encourage your church that we would be firmly rooted in your definition of love. So Father, we love you, but thank you for first loving us. It's in your name we pray, amen. 
So what we're going to do this morning is primarily answer one question from this text. So we got to see all these different definitions of what the world's definition of love is, what Christian culture's definition of love is. But I think the most important question that we could ask this morning is this, and we'll have it up here on the wall for you, is how does God define love? How does God define love? And we're gonna use these verses this morning to answer that question. So the first thing that we see as we dive into the text in verse seven, uh, I think the first thing that should stand out to us are two phrases at the beginning or middle part of verse seven, says that love is from God and he bookends verse eight by saying God is love. Now, when I read that, it kind of seems like there's a tension there, right? That love is from God, but God is love. So how does the love come to God? So maybe this quote from John Piper will help us uh, understand that tension a little bit that I think Mackenzie has yeah, up there for us. Uh, Piper says this, these are not at odds because when John says that love is from God, he doesn't mean it's from him the way letters are from a mailman or even from a friend. He means that love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's a part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat. That this is what we're talking about as we approach a biblical definition of love, that we have a infinite, vast, holy God that says to us that I am love. So this morning, what we need to understand in our biblical definition of love, no matter what culture may be saying to us, that love is not a something, love is a someone. It is the Savior, Jesus Christ, that as we come as his church and we remember his first coming, that he came in love, that he is the very nature of love and that we as fallen and broken wretches, as we just sang, that how could we ever understand the Father's love? How could he make a wretch, us, his treasure, we had no love previous to Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, 5, he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love, notice it says God's love, not our love. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That love is from God that God himself is love. When he came incarnate, wrapped in human flesh, he gave to us something we did not have. That's why Paul goes on in Galatians when he talks about the fruit of the spirit, that it's not, our, it, it's not us that we have this, this is something that comes from God. And when Galatians 5.24, Paul says this, and those, uh, I'm sorry, I probably gave you the wrong reference, but when he says that the fruit of the spirit, and he goes on this list of saying that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, that love is from God that we get to see in this room this morning, if we are looking in this season for the best definition of love, we see it in our broken savior. 
So if you're in this room this morning and you're trying to wrap your mind around love, it is some of the most difficult, painstaking things to do. Because in the room this morning, it's true, some of us do not feel loved. Some of us have so many broken relationships in our life that it's hard for us to try to grasp the fact that there is a loving God who cares for us because we have so many broken relationships with those around us that we are trying to earn favor and the approval of those people in this room and we allow that to trickle into our relationship with God that we seek to earn his approval and say, God, if I do this well enough, if I live the Christian life well enough, you will then love me. Or maybe we're on the other side of it where we say, God, I've read my Bible. God, I, I, I lead Bible studies. I'm part of a missional community. I open up my house. I'm in a DNA group. I do everything you want for me, God. Don't you love me? Why won't you give these desires of my heart? We are trying to put God in our debt. God has not come to just be something we try to earn favor with. God is first and foremost love. That is who he is in his nature. And this is not something when we talk to our, our culture or those around us that is very popular to think about because when we talk about God as love, sometimes we distort who God's character is like we just saying that he is holy. There is none beside him. Uh, there's a quote that's just coming to mind from R.C. Sproul when he's talking about the throne room of God right now, that there are myriads and myriads of angels that are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're not crying out, love, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. They're crying out, holy. Yes, love is God. That is part of his character, but the love of God ultimately props up his holiness that we have got to understand if God is love in this room this morning, he has got to punish sin. There is such thing as objective right and wrong. In a culture surrounded in this Christmas season of saying love is about me and how I feel, what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you, subjective moralism, God stands and says, I determine right from wrong in this love because that is my character and my nature. That this is the God that we serve. So if we know this about God, that God is love, the next thing that we have got to do with this biblical definition is believe that. That's why Paul, or excuse me, John, continues in verse nine by saying, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if the first thing we saw is that God is love, and we're answering this biblical question of what is love, that he is love and love comes from him. The second thing that we see, it's not that we have loved God, it is that he loved us. You see, 
as we're talking about love again, this agape love, this self-sacrificing love, uh, I'm, this beat me up this week uh, because all of our favorite Bible verses and often a bunch of them uh, that we just skim over or even ones we're gonna talk about this morning, if you look at the root word of love, it is agape, it is a self-sacrificing love. So when we're talking about that God first loved us, why this beat me up this week is because I am so often that person that wants to love only when someone has loved me first. I will sacrifice if someone sacrificed for me. And then I read Ephesians 5.25, when the mandate, if you're a husband in this room, if you're engaged, if you're looking to be one day, our call out of Ephesians 5.25 is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life in a self-sacrificing love. And it's so often the status of my heart that I tend to only love my wife when she does things for me. So we see that we can't skip this step. What we talked about at the very beginning of the definition of the world, the world says love is about me. The Christian culture, sometimes we're so ready just to do what scripture says that we can be falling prey to legalism of give me a list of things to do. Love is about other people and we neglect the fact that we were first loved by God which empowers us to love. I love my wife first sacrificially when I understand that Christ first loved me. For all of us in the room, you don't have to be a husband to demonstrate this self-sacrificing love. This call is for all of us that understand that we were first loved. That's why all throughout scripture, we see the same narrative. In Romans 5, 8 through 10, Paul would say it this way. But God shows his love, again, this is the agape love, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Scripture doesn't mince words when it talks about that we were enemies to God, and God died for us while we were enemies, going the other way. Paul would say it in Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, following after the course of the power of the air, that for us in the room this morning, if we are not in Christ, we are not morally neutral, we're in opposition to the Father, But the good news of the gospel is that God did not die for you because you turned and did something for him. He died for you while you were still sinners. If we are in Christ in this room this morning, that is the good news of the gospel, that we know we fall short every single day, but Christ still died for us. Every single day, it's not our works that earns the favor of the Father. It's the favor of the Father that spurns the good works in our lives. Scripture continues in this same narrative. John 3.16, we all know this. If we've been in church for a minute, it says, for God so loved, God so self-sacrificed himself for the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe will not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel, that if the Lord opens our hearts to see the good news that we will have eternal life. 
It's not that we had this love. The Lord, as we saw earlier in Romans 5, poured this love into us. The Lord gave to us what we were bankrupt of. We were bankrupt of love. That passage in Galatians 5, when we read the fruits of the Spirit, if we would have read two verses uh, after, it says the fruits of the flesh. There's rivalry, dissension, jealousy, strife. Nowhere in that is found love. And ultimately, as we continue this thought, John would say it later this way in 1 John 4.19. says that we love because he first loved us. You notice the order of that. It's not that we loved God first. It's not that we somehow in our dead nature, in our sins, somehow turned to God and said, God, I love you. It's that he first loved us. My wife and I are reading this really, really cool uh, Advent devotional together by Paul David Tripp. Uh, And this week he had a really, really uh, poignant quote when it has to do about Christ dying for our sins. He says it this way. Um, I think we do, we have that, Mackenzie? Yeah. Uh, You see, the Christmas story is the world's best love story. It's about a God of love sending the son of his love to live a life of love and, don't miss this, to die a death of love. It's what we just read there in the passage. It's almost as if John is saying, you want a definition of love? That's what we're asking this morning, right? We're asking that question, what does God say about love? How does God define love? He says, in this is love, that God sent his son. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to die for us. That we as the church, if we are in Christ this morning, This is the best news you could possibly hear. This should make our hearts sing out. This should make our hearts cry out that we don't have to earn a love. There is nothing that we could ever do to make God love us any more or less if we're trusting in the love that the Father provided on the cross. The greatest hope that we have in the world, the greatest love that we need right now in our lives is not the love of possibly reconciling a relationship with a loved one. It's not the love of a relationship of we're feeling lonely in this Christmas season. It's not the love that we feel when someone gives us presents. What we need is what we already have. We have Christ, our Savior, who is love. Take heart. You have found love in the beloved. That is your saving grace. Rest in that this season. There is nothing else you need. There's not one present that will satisfy your love. The longingness that you have in your heart is only fulfilled by the Father. The good news, the glory of the gospel is that God himself wrapped himself in human flesh and came and lived the perfect life that we could not. If you've never heard that, that's the heartbeat of the gospel. If you've heard that, I implore you to stand firm in that. Stop returning to a yoke of slavery, slavery, feeling like you have to earn God's love and approval. God can never love you more now 
if you're in Christ. Because when he looks at you, he sees the perfect, flawless, spotless Lamb of God. In this season, we fall prey to it so much. If you're like me, it's, it's, it's a performance-based, God, I've done so much for you. God, don't you love me? Don't you see me? Why won't you bless me? I don't feel loved, Father. You feel distant. And I start, start saying to the, the Father that I've done this, you, I deserve this. Or maybe for you, it's, it's approval. Maybe it's, God, I'm trying to earn this love, maybe from people around me, maybe from even you. I'm so sinful, how could you ever love me? And I just would encourage you to stand firm in these truths that what we got to know about God is that he is love. And what we believe from scripture, the best demonstration of love we could ever see was our savior hanging on a tree. We believe that. And then we can start having this conversation of what we do with that. So if you're a practical person, you say, what do I do with this news? What do I do with this news that I'm a broken, wretch, sinful person, that God loves me still, that he died for me? What do I do now? So if you're a Christian in the room this morning, uh, this is only when we get to that next step of how we obey scripture. So if you've been around the, the branch for a while, you know, we describe a disciple as someone who knows, believes, and obeys Jesus. Um, so if we could break this text up into that way, that's why John would continue in verse 11 by saying, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So let's stop there before we go on. You noticed in the beginning part of verse 11, it says, Beloved. He's saying, you who are already loved. John is talking to our identity as Christ followers. You're already loved. You know who God is. You believe that he's died on the cross in your place, giving you the greatest love you ever need. Because of that, now this is what you do. It says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And this is, if we've been in church for a while, something we're pretty familiar with. But I, I can't caution you enough to not jump to this step if you have not first rested in verses 9 and 10. Because what will happen is you will use these next two verses as a way to justify to yourself that you have already trusted in the love of the Father. You will use these next two verses as a way to say, God, look what I've done for you. You should do this for me. You put the infinite holy God in your debt by doing that. And it's not possible to actually do that. So I could not caution you strongly enough before we get into these, just to be careful. Because if we notice as we continue on in verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So no one has ever seen God, but if we truly self-sacrificingly can love one another, that love that we were bankrupt of before is made manifest, proving God's existence. 
you guys tracking with me, that if we were morally bankrupt of actual, true, genuine love, but if we have received it in Christ, and then we demonstrate it to the world, it show, so proves that God actually abides in us. And John would go as far as to say that his, his love is perfected in us. Because you see that those possibly of us in this room that are not in Christ or the world who are not in Christ, the reason why the definition of love for them is always about themselves and how they feel is because they have not the agape love that comes from God. But when we as Christ followers have that, it is God's love perfected in us. So maybe this illustration will help us understand that a little bit. Uh, so what do mirrors do? They reflect, right? So mirrors reflect. They don't actually genuine, genuinely create anything. All they do is catch what has been given to them and extend it. Another way of saying this, John Piper has another great quote that I love when it's talking about this love for us. Um, I think we have that one too, Mackenzie. Yeah, uh, the love that you have as a born again person is no mere imitation of the divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. So I don't know about you, but when I've always heard passages like um, that says love one another, love one another, love one another, I've always thought it was my love that the Lord was calling me to love people out of my own strength. But what scripture teaches, what Piper is agreeing here, is that it is not our love with which we're loving people. We are extending the love of God that was given to us, that was poured into our hearts, and we're just simply extending that to other people. That's why in the great commandment, Matthew 22, uh, 35 through 37, or is it 37 through 39? Yeah, says this. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this love is not our love. There's no way that we can love someone with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are broken, flawed, sinful creatures. We are extending the love of the Father that was poured into us, enabling us to love other people. Um, one of my favorite passages in scripture, uh, again, has to do with love. Uh, I think we have this one as well in John, um, where Peter has already denied Christ three times, and the Lord was crucified and resurrected. And the, the disciples go back to their vocation. They go back to fishing. And Jesus comes to them in his resurrected body and makes them breakfast. And there's this dialogue between John and Jesus um, that talks about love all throughout it. It says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now let's pause there. Uh, if we were to look at the original Greek to the word that he is saying there is, do you agape me? Are you willing to self-sacrifice for me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I, but when Peter uses this word love here, it's not agape. He uses phileo. He uses brotherly love. So Jesus is asking, would you self-sacrifice for me? And to which Peter says, uh, well, you know, I love you like a brother. 
That's what Jesus continues asking. This is not just for every time Peter denied, he restored, but there's something more going on here as well. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you, and he changes the word here from agape to phileo. And many commentators believe that Christ has done that because he is showing that he has then accepted Peter back into this love of the Father, that where he was broken and flawed and denied Christ, that Christ is restoring him and saying, we now have a brotherly love and affection again, to which Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, this is Peter, Lord, you know everything. You know that I agape you. And you see that Peter changes it to saying, I will self-sacrifice for you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, is, this he said to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So you see that Peter, he makes this proclamation earlier in the book of John. He says, even if I have to die, I will follow you, Christ. I will self-sacrifice for you, to which he doesn't. But when Christ comes back, he restores him and says, and he's prophesying of the death that Peter will have, that Peter will fulfill that promise to Christ as he is crucified upside down for his following of Christ. And I love how Christ bookends it by saying, follow me. You know that this is what's gonna happen. You're going to have to self-sacrifice. If you're saying that you love me, this is where the Christian life leads. If you are a disciple of mine, this is where you're going to go, follow me. The very first time that Jesus sees Peter, he says, follow me. And Peter may not know what he's getting into, but at this point, Peter knows exactly what he's getting into. If he is looking to love the Father, it, it comes with loss. For us in this room this morning, love entails loss. In the Christian life, loving someone is not about you and your storge, your affection. It's not about even a brotherly love of about you or yourself. Loving someone like Christ loves someone has to do with you dying to yourself, your wants, your ambitions, your needs. If you are a parent, you know this better than anybody else because those children you would give anything for. If you're married, you're getting the foretaste of that. But loving Christ entails loss. We see verses all throughout scripture, even in Matthew 6, 44, when it says, uh, you've, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you've heard it say, hate your enemies, but love your neighbor. But he says, I say to you, love your neighbor and love your enemy that love, again, is a self-sacrificing love. You have people in your life that want to do you harm, that slander, that gossip, that backbite about you. In this season, when we go out and people are cutting you off in traffic, when you're going to a store to buy presents and people would rather just as soon as like push you out of the way and trample over you to get a, I don't even know what popular gifts are right now, like 
a, a new iPhone, which is the same iPhone as the last 16 iPhones. Like, but Christ is saying to self-sacrifice, that the Christian life, if we call ourselves Christians, Christ followers, disciples, followers of Jesus, a tree is known by its fruit. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you can look back at the course of your life and see that type of love, I would encourage you to stand firm. But if you cannot, if you cannot look back at the course of your life and say, I, not by my own strength, but, but somehow by the Lord's strength, I have sacrificed. If you can say that, be encouraged. But if you can't, if you can't say that, don't worry about anything else today. Don't worry about your finances. Don't worry about what presents are under the tree. Don't worry about what meal you have to cook. Your soul, your eternal destination, your standing before the Father is the most important thing that you could ever consider this morning. If you cannot say you have self-sacrificed love, you cannot point to those events in your life that those fruits are evidence of the justification that you have experienced in Christ dying on the cross for you. Because faith without works is dead. It's not saying that works save you, but true, genuine, saving faith is evidenced by its works. If you do not, do not look like Christ, I implore you to consider this morning that this is what our lives are about. We can talk about the Christmas season and everything else. But as we close out this Advent season, as you guys go into worship tomorrow, if you have not experienced love, if you've not received the love of the Father, that is the most important thing you could ever, ever receive. And you come by knowing that he is love, that he is holy, and that he is perfect. And you come by that belief that he died your death, your sin. We just sang is what held him there until it was accomplished. That sin and the wrath of God are real. They're not things to be afraid of. They're not things to avoid and skirt around as we talk about the gospel. It's the central tenet of the love of the Father because he is holy, he is love, and he is just. And they meet at the cross that God has got to be just and punish sin. And he has got to be loving because that is who he is. And he satisfied your debt in himself by becoming the propitiation for it. So what happens if we get this as disciples? What happens here in Dahlonega? What happens in Milledgeville if we truly know the love of the Father? And we believe that it was him dying for us in our place. And then we actually obey, not out of moral obligation, but out of a welling up, a joy, a worship in our heart to love other people this season as Christ loved. What happens is everything changes. Your relationships with everyone in this room, everyone you encounter changes. 
in your missional community, that is, if we talk about our chart of what we do in each thing as a missional community, a DNA, a Sunday gathering, in a missional community, what we do is love one another, self-sacrifice for one another. So someone comes in and they have just had an awful, terrible day. You are not annoyed by that, but because of the love the Father poured into you and self-sacrifice for you, you can sit there and listen, encourage, and give counsel. Your relationship with your spouse changes. It's not about how how they love you first or who puts up the dirty clothes and who leaves towels on the floor like I do for my wife all the time. You guys are outdoing one another with honor. It is a self-sacrificing love. What happens to those in this community that don't know Jesus? When we go into this community and we love people with a self-sacrificing love, when they get to genuinely see our good deeds and come close and realize that we're a bunch of knuckleheads and understand it's not us, it's not our love they're seeing, but they're seeing the true, genuine love of the Father that's poured into us, the gospel will go out, the gospel and the power of the gospel will change lives that this community here in Dahlonega, this campus back in Milledgeville will turn on its head and Christ will will get the glory because the church is being the church. We're not sitting on our hands concerned with whether or not God loves me or can I earn God's love or do I even deserve God's love. We understand we have already received it in the person and work of Christ and we extend it. And that is our purpose and our mandate and our goal and the desire of everyone's heart should be to extend what Christ has given you. Everything changes when we live out the gospel in that order, that God is the only perfect love. And then he sent the perfect love, not in a something, but in a someone in himself, satisfying his own wrath and bringing us into a family in order to build us up into living stones to go out and be a testimony to this world. That is what the purpose of the church is. The church on mission is to be equipped and to be sent out. That is what we do. So if we're looking for something low-hanging fruit, first practical steps this morning, okay, Kyle, I'm with you, that God is love. It's not that we love, that he first loved us, sent Christ. It's not our love that we extend, but his. What do I do? What's my next step? So for the person in this room this morning that might be considering Christ for the very first time, that you've not understood this gospel, never heard this good news, that although we are flawed and broken, that we had a savior die in our place. Or maybe you've never understood that this message is actually the core tenet of Christianity. Maybe you've grown up in and around church, maybe understood it, bits and pieces, but the Lord, as his gospel is proclaimed, has opened your heart to understand it. It's our plea with you to be bold this morning, is to respond. If the Lord has given you the faith to understand this good news, if he has opened up your heart to this good news and you trust that, trust in him. There's elders all over this room and Gabe and Matt and everyone, I mean, everyone, Rob, um, they would love to have that conversation with you. So if that's you, respond in that, in that manner. But if you're in Christ this morning, um, 
again, before we do anything else, first step for you is in these next moment, moments as communion is opened and as you continue in worship, that you stop and you thank the Father for his self-sacrificing love. That as we take of communion, we remember that a Savior died in our place. And once you've done that, as you go out through this week, really low-hanging fruit, if you want to take notes, something very, very easy for you to do of how to show self-sacrificing love is to do it with three people this week. You've got three people maybe in your family or you have a relationship or a son or a daughter. Grandparent, parent, simple. As you would want to be self-sacrificed and loved on, do it for them. Tangible things, if you're a husband, don't leave your clothes all over the floor. Put them in the dirty hamper bin. <laughs> it's me preaching to myself. Um, if you're a wife, tell your husband how much you appreciate his sacrifices of, whether it be financial sacrifices, his job. If it's a roommate, do their chores around the house. Whatever it is, find three people and love how you would want to be loved. But in these next moments, we're gonna continue in worship as communion is opened and we remember this great self-sacrificing love. As we take of the bread, we remember Christ's words as saying, this is my body that was broken for you and we'll take. And as we take of the juice, we remember Christ saying, this was my blood poured out for you and we take. But I do want to caution, if you are not in Christ this morning, uh, these symbols don't mean anything to you just yet. This is a very dear time for us as believers. So if you will use this time to reflect and to respond, like we said, um, and if you are a believer, uh, if you do have sin in your heart uh, that uh, maybe hate towards another brother and sister, uh, scripture is clear in 1 Corinthians 11 um, that communion is considered uh, drinking and taking judgment on yourself if you don't first reconcile. So use this time to first reconcile, then take. So I'll pray for us. The team will come back up and continue leading us in worship. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this great love which you poured into us. It's not that we in anything or any way first loved you. God, we're just broken, flawed, and God, our pride, more often than not, will not allow us to admit it. So God, we rest in the good news of your gospel this morning, that although that is true, that we are sinful, and we deserve eternity apart from you, that you say in your word, there's now therefore no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. So as we ponder your love of how you first came in order to die, we look forward to your second coming where this love that was ushered in will be fully consummated, that we will not have to love in part but we will see and love you fully and be fully loved by you. So thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your love that you poured out. Father, I pray that you would impress this message into our heart, that we would not leave here feeling anything besides that joy 
that you've paid it all, or that we would leave here in tension with unsettled nerves down in our gut until we have understood this good news of your gospel, until we rest in it. We can only do that by your strength, so Spirit, we trust you. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done. How awesome are your deeds and how glorious you are. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.